Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, it is a joy to be here today. I have a special guest with me, Pastor Sean McGowan, and we're going to talk a little bit about the imprecatory Psalms. Uh, before we do that, just a, a few announcements. Um, I've been traveling a bit. I'll be actually in New York City next month for those who are in the New York area. You can go to worldviewconversation.com. You can check out upper right-hand corner. There's a tab that'll show you where I'll be. And um, wanted to also thank everyone for the generosity. I'm just blown away by Christians' hospitality, their generosity uh, across the country. Um, I've gotten to know some really just great people that love the Lord. And um, you can tell when you walk into a church and the Spirit's there and people are fellowshipping, it is, it is such a joyful thing. And, uh, and, and you can just tell. You can tell the difference between that and, and a church that has strife and tension and, uh, and the Spirit's not there. I mean, it's just um, night and day. So just want to thank everyone. All the places I've been so far have been tremendously encouraging. Uh, quick item of um, business, just two, two things. Not really business, but just an announcement. Uh, one, American Monument is out. I know I've pushed it, but please uh, check out American Monument on YouTube or Rumble, Last Stand Studios uh, channel, American Monument. And I think we have something good there. I actually had someone contact me from a major media, conservative media organization that wants to use it, which I just praise God for. And then also uh, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict, it is out. Uh, people are reading it and benefiting from it. I'll probably sit down next week, probably next week, and start doing the Audible recordings for it. If you would, though, please leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads or both. Uh, that would be the best, both uh, or Google. Um, Amazon's probably the most important one. But even if you bought it from me, you didn't get it from Amazon, you should still be able to go and leave a review there. And uh, just, just let uh, people know what you thought about it, um, how, how it helped you. It, it helps drive more traffic to the book, apparently. So uh, I need to say that, and the publishers want me to say these kinds of things. So I needed to get out, that out there. Today, though, we're not talking about any of that. We're going to talk about uh, this book uh, by uh, Pastor Sean McGowan. Uh, it is called Psalms That Curse, A Brief Primer. And um, I got to say, this is something that I've been asked about a few times from people directly, you know, what do you think about imprecatory Psalms in times like these? Uh, can we pray those kinds of things? Uh, what is an imprecatory Psalm? So all these things are, uh, will be questions I'll ask the author, Sean McGowan. Uh, Sean is a pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, I know, Sean, you've, you've published, I think, some other books as well, right? I have, that's correct. Um, yeah, I was on your show goodness, probably years ago now, um, with the forward I wrote to St. Patrick. Um, and I did uh, publish a book also on uh, infant baptism, which I know you have read and love. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's about it. <laughs> that, that is one I actually haven't read yet. I do want to. Um, but, uh, you know, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. You know, you're a pastor. Uh, you're writing books here on the side, I guess. Uh, tell everyone about what you would want them to know about you. Yeah, um, I'm a pastor. I've been at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Tallahassee uh, for a little over a year now. Um, before that, I taught in uh, Christian school uh, and, and also uh, secular school for over 13 years. Um, I've taught history, world history, American history, uh, Bible, uh, theology, and uh, things like that. So been kind of on the academic side, uh, but, but desired to be in pastoral ministry. Uh, was in uh, Huntsville, Alabama for a while at uh, Westminster 
uh, there as well. Again, I think I told you, John, Presbyterians don't have diversity of names much. So um, right. went from Westminster and Huntsville to Westminster and Tallahassee. And uh, it's been a it's been a joy uh, serving the congregation here. Praise God. That's awesome. Uh, well, you, you, uh, you and I have um, we connect. I can't remember when. When did we connect? It was three years ago, maybe four years ago. Probably. Yeah. 20, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. Yeah, so we've been friends for a few years, and uh, I know I've called you a few times. You've been gracious. I think the last time I called you, we talked for like an hour, and I was just like, explain the Presbyterian Church to me, please, because I don't always <laughs> understand as a Baptist uh, what the, the polity and just um, it, it's so different in some ways. So you've been gracious and kind of uh, walking me down the garden path to understand some of these things. Um I want to talk, maybe we'll get into some of that. Maybe we'll get into some PCA stuff, but I want to talk uh, about your book because it's out. People can get it. Where can they get it? Amazon? Uh, Amazon for now. Yeah. It, it dropped a few days ago and that's probably the best place to get it um, at yeah. the time being. Okay. So after you leave a good review for my book, go and leave a good review for Sean's book on uh, <laughs> Amazon and it's available in Kindle as well. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so well, I read this this morning. It's a short book. You can do it in one sitting. Uh, if I don't know, it took me maybe an hour or so. Uh, about uh, with with all the scripture and everything you have at the end, I think it's like uh, eighty pages. And um, you go through kind of you take something very hard, Sean. That I've seen Christian apologists at university campuses in debates kind of fumble the ball on. They they really have a hard time dealing with this reconciling. Uh, imprecatory psalms with the the Jesus that is so gentle and meek and all these things that we attribute to him and 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 some of the things that he genuinely really is and they uh, and atheists love to go to these passages and say look uh, look at the harsh things that Christians um, endorse on some level so I'm going to just give you the the floor and let you talk about this um, what are imprecatory psalms and then um you know, maybe just enter into that fray a little bit. If an atheist was coming to you and just saying, how can you support a, a Bible that has these, what would you say? Yeah, so uh, the imprecatory Psalms really are those Psalms that are really scattered throughout the, uh, the Psalter. Uh, really talk about, you know, cursing of enemies and um, calling God to bring judgment upon uh, enemies and, and things like that. Um, and really imprecations in general are not just um, in the Psalms. I mean, one thing, you know, when I was writing this book and studying this years ago, one thing I realized was that imprecation is all over the Bible. Um, you know, not only in the Psalms, but in the Old Testament, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New as well. Um, so it's a, it's a major theme in scripture. And one thing I realized, especially when tackling Psalm 137, which was probably one of the most challenging psalms uh, to, to, to read, uh, is that the psalmist is actually invoking something or calling God to do something that he's already revealed he would do um, in the prophets, and, and particularly with the Babylonians, is destroy the Babylonians and, uh, and their children. Uh, so, so what the psalmist is doing is actually calling on God to uh, essentially fulfill the judgment that he has already said he would do. Um, so that was that was interesting to me when I when I read through that and and just saw that theme uh, throughout the Bible, um, and in in regards to the fact that you know how can we 
how can we, you know, read these and, and, and agree with them and, and things like that. Well, I think, I think if someone asked me that, you know, especially an atheist, um, you know, the reality is, is that fundamental to this question is that of worldview. That is, is there, is there such thing as justice? Is there such thing as judgment? Um, obviously from an atheistic perspective, I would suggest that they have no basis to, to, to say that justice and judgment are, are real, given the fact that there is no God and, and there is no purpose and, and meaning and, and things like that. But from, from a Christian perspective in our worldview, um, we do understand that there is ultimate justice. There's ultimate right and wrong um, because God has established that in his law. So, so the concept of God bringing down judgment on people is actually a, 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 an expectant thing in the Christian, uh, the, the Christian life, uh, is that God will uh, render judgment uh, on those who have rebelled against him and rebelled against his law. So the idea of imprecation actually fits into the Christian worldview. Um, so I, I don't think Christians should be afraid of that, should, should, should kind of shy away from it, but we should proclaim it, right? There is a God and he has given us his law and those who rebel against him will incur judgment. Um, and obviously the gospel in that is we, we all incur judgment, right? But, but Christ has come and, and, and Christ has taken on that judgment and fulfilled, uh, fulfilled the justice necessary for those who, who flee to him, who trust in him. So, um, so judgment and, and, and things like that, you know, we shouldn't shy away from. Um, and what I noticed in, in the, the, the theme of imprecation is that as it flows through the Bible, so does this idea of enemy love, right? Loving your enemy. Um, you know, one of the objections to, to using these um, in, in, in the new covenant era is that, you know, it, it goes against Jesus's command to love our enemies. Um, well, the reality is, is that that idea of enemy love was, was present in the Old Testament as well, right? It might not have been the wording, but the, but, the, but the expectation to show love to your enemies was there, and yet so was imprecation. Um, so I don't think we can suggest that there's some incompatibility between the two unless we're ready to go far enough to say, well, the Bible's just inconsistent with itself. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think it is consistent with itself. And I think enemy love and imprecation are, are compatible. They do harmonize. And, and the clearest place that they harmonize, in my opinion, is in the, in the, person, in, uh, in the person of Christ. Um, you know, the one that epitom epitomized enemy love um, also invoked imprecation. Um, so I don't, I think when we talk about the two, we're really talking about apples and oranges because really imprecation has to do not with our own personal enemies. It has to do ultimately with the enemies of God. And, and we understand that we want to see God's justice established. We want to see him bring down judgment against those who, who, who hate him. Um, so we're actually in, in, in one sense, we're really putting the, pushing the burden off of us. It's a relief to push this, you know, desire for personal vengeance off of us to the throne of God and say, we want to see God's justice established. Lord, bring down judgment upon those who hate you. Um, so I, I don't think they're incompatible. I think they harmonize nicely when you understand the context of 
what an imprecatory psalm actually is, um, and the fact that uh, both ideas flow uh, throughout throughout Scripture. So, so two things really. Uh, you make you say that someone who would come to you and and try to object to these, they're they're leaving out another side of the story. That there's also a theme of enemy love, not just judgment on enemies, but of uh, crying out for repentance and, and desiring that for those whom, um, well, think of the Sermon on the Mount and this, uh, to help your enemies, uh, even when, and, and, and you, you rightly point out in the book that that's even in the Old Testament. So, um, so, so leaving out that side of the picture is one of the maybe tricks that's used. Uh, but the other thing is that there's a difference between, it, it sounds like what you're saying is revenge and then justice so desiring god's justice isn't the same thing as having a personal um uh axe to grind with someone and then wanting to go out and and exact that revenge or see bad things happen to someone just because you 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 hate them for something they've done it's more that they violated god's law that they're um they're they're enemies of him am i getting that right that's right yeah so yeah it really goes down to it boils down to the fact that you know, we desire to see God's justice established here, right? So, so we want to, uh, we want to see God bring justice, and, and that a byproduct of that is bringing down judgment upon those who are committing injustice. Um, so, yeah, that that that's right. It's not, you know, you read through the imprecatory psalms; it's not these personal vendettas. You know, one of the objections to um, to to using them this side of the cross is. Um, is, you know, when Paul says uh, to not, you know, not pay back enemies, you know, in Romans 12, when he talks about not taking personal vengeance. Um, well, again, that actually complements what we're saying. It's not that we're looking to pay back enemies or, or get personal revenge. It's that we're leaving vengeance in the hands of God. And we're, yeah. and we're calling on him to bring down that, that vengeance that we know is going to happen. Um, and, and, and you see that not only with Jesus, but you see that with Paul, you see that with Peter, um, an interesting one actually is, is the saints in heaven in revelation when they're calling on God to bring judgment, they're calling on him to bring justice. Now, these are, these are people that the, the indwelling sin has been removed, right? So they're not sinning and doing this, but they're calling on God to, uh, to bring judgment upon those that dwell on the earth. Um, so clearly this can be done in a way that's not, that's not sinful in doing it. Um, and I think, I think that's seen when we're not doing this in any way, uh, to get, to get personal vengeance or personal gain, it's desiring God to fulfill his, his will, and what he's, uh, what he's told us would happen, um, is that justice would be brought down. So I try in the book to, to really, uh, kind of just give a brief introduction to the Psalms, introduction to the imprecatory Psalms. I, I, I give an exegesis of Psalm 137. Um, and then, you know, really just ask the question, you know, can, can Christians pray these today? Uh, can we utilize these kinds of prayers? And if so, what are some, what are some pastoral guidelines that would be helpful um, to make sure that we're actually not sinning in doing it? Um, well that's let's, that's the essence of the book. Let's let's uh, get to that the, the the implications for today. But before we do it, let's just talk about Psalm one thirty seven because 
for, for people not familiar with this, they may not know kind of how harsh some of this language is. And this is one of the ones I, I've seen Richard Dawkins go after this and um, some other new atheists. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was it was a debate Doug Wilson had years ago. Dan Barker, I think Dan Barker and him went back mm. and forth about this forever. And so um, I, I'm in your book, page 17, 17 and 18. You have uh, Psalm 137 quoted there and it's talking about being in exile and not being you know basically being taunted by the enemy to sing songs in a foreign land and they're depressed and how can we do this and it was just really this lamentation and then you get to um verse seven and it kind of switches remember O lord against the edomites the day of jerusalem how they said lay it bare lay it bare down to its foundations O daughter of babylon doomed to be destroyed blessed shall be uh, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks and of course verse nine is the one that's often quoted is that uh hey you know the bible is is pro killing children in this cruel harsh way and i think when i heard this um exchange between doug wilson and dan barker years ago in the 90s i think doug wilson said are you you angry at god for being pro-choice and the crowd kind of laughed you know a little bit and um and saw the, the hypocrisy of, of taking a pro-abortion stance and then having a problem with this but uh i want to just ask you directly um you know when you first read that psalm and that verse did it kind of uh bristle you a little did, did you get shocked or you know i i don't know some people when they hear this kind of thing and they're not familiar they they think oh my goodness that is so horrible yeah i mean that's really the, the main reason I actually wanted to, to study this more was it did shock me. Um, you know, I, you know, like anybody else, I'd have my devotional reading and read through the Psalms and, and that jumped out at me. And I said, well, wait a minute, you know, how can, how can someone be blessed that does that? And, and that led me to, you know, get into the context a little bit more, read through, um, you know, read through the, the, the rest of the, of the old Testament to see, uh, if there was any insights, particularly in the prophets, um, and uh, and also just just reflect on the character of God and, and, and things like that, and so yeah, it, it did. It did shock me. And I think it, I think it would shock any sensible person, you know, when you're when you're first reading this. But you know, there's there's things in that uh, in the prophets, particularly, that help you understand this, right? This is a this is obviously a, a an exilic psalm um one that or at least post maybe post exilic it sounds like it's you know it's fresh right it sounds like it's something that it just happened and and this psalmist is reflecting upon the destruction um that the babylonians uh you know committed upon judah in jerusalem so it sounds like it's something he's 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 remembering he's seeing and it's and it's pretty close to the actual event when it took place um, but if you read through the prophets, what you what you quickly realize is that Yahweh has uh, has revealed what would happen to the Babylonians, what would happen to the Edomites, and it, it talks about the judgment He would bring on them. Um, you know, God revealed that He would He would lay Edom to waste and desolate uh, because they gave the you know Israel over uh, to the sword. Um, so, so the, so the psalmist there is invoking God to fulfill what he said he would do to the Edomites. Um, you know, it says in Jeremiah that, that Yahweh would, would punish the Babylonians. And it specifically talks about what he would do to their children, right? He would destroy their children. So 
the psalmist, it, contextually, it seems, is, is remembering these promises, right? remembering these particular uh, prophecies that God would, would do. And he's calling on them, or he's calling on, on God to fulfill those, those promises. Uh, and I get into it in the book a little bit, you know, a, a, a helpful way to understand this particular psalm is the concept of the lex talionis, right? The eye for eye principle in the Old Testament. Um, you know, it, it evolved in Jesus's day and, and people utilized it as justification for personal vengeance. But, but reality was the eye for eye principle was actually to limit unjust punishment, right? It was actually to limit punishment and make sure that the punishment fit the crime. So, you know, that, that plays into the psalm a little bit as well. You know, the, the psalmist is calling on God to, 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 to make sure the punishment fits the crime in what has happened here, right? The Babylonians destroyed their children. Um, so there's a lot going into this, this psalm. But again, I, I do think that there's godly anger from the psalmist. I don't think he's just a stoic that's just kind of, you know, has no emotion in this. But it's godly anger. It's certainly directed at the Babylonians who've destroyed God's people. Um, and right. the, the psalmist is calling upon God to fulfill uh, the judgment that would come upon the Babylonians. So, again, it's, it's the psalmist. You know, he's angry, but he's, he's, he's bringing this anger to the Lord and asking the Lord to fulfill his purpose in what he would said he would do to the injustice all around him. Um, I think that's different than, you know, than someone um, just trying to take out personal anger for someone that uh, towards someone that did something particularly to them. Yeah, no, that's great. That's good. I I totally agree. Uh, Here's the thing that I think bothers a lot of people when you really dig down deep into the Psalm, there's other places in scripture where God condemns child sacrifice and this is supposed to be a shocking, horrible thing. We see, I mean, even in um, Egypt with the midwives saving the children and with what Herod did in, in killing children and say, you know, Jesus is saved from that. And there's, there's uh, just a lot of stories and a lot of um, even uh, commands that seem to indicate that this is a horrible thing to take in- children who are quote unquote innocent. We know no one's innocent. Everyone is evil. If you believe in original sin, which is the Bible teaches, but that you know, th- there's no crime though that would merit uh, punishment, at least in a human court, for, uh, for people that haven't had even the opportunity to go and, and commit a civil penalty. So this is a grave injustice, right? And so to 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 almost be um, so looking forward to someone coming in a conquering army and taking babies and killing them that that seems to just fly in the face of this what what do you say to that because that is the root objection that i've heard atheists use against christianity is really this one little verse that um you know yes it's justice yes it's lex talionis yes uh god's gonna commit judgment but why on the children why not on the adults right that's that's the apprehension people have sometimes yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, I think, I think a little bit of, at least for me, you know, a little bit of uh, humility in, in studying this is helpful too, because, you know, we, we don't necessarily have all the, all the answers to, you know, why this is here, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if we pretended to have all the answers, I think it would be, 
um, I don't think it would be helpful because reality is there are there are challenges to especially a particular psalm like this. Um, but I do think, you know, a couple things are important to keep in mind. Uh, first thing is, and, and this is kind of a side note, I don't really get into it too much in the, in the book, but there is a question about how to understand the term, you know, little ones or babies, right? If you actually look at the Hebrew term, it has a, a wide range of meaning um, in, in, the actual, in the actual Hebrew. It can, it can go from anywhere to infancy to just prior to mature adolescence. Um, so there's some people that look at that and say, okay, he could actually be just talking about, you know, destroying the, the second generation, uh, because these people have committed the sins of their fathers, basically. Um, so they're, 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 they're invested in the sins of their fathers, the, the, the Babylonians that have judged, uh, Judah or have attacked Judah and, um, and they're, you know, they're complicit in it. So we want to see them destroyed as well. I, I don't necessarily know if that's correct. Um, it could be. Um, it would certainly take the sting maybe off some of the <laughs> uh, some of the, uh, the the question. But um, but ultimately, I think at the end of the day, regardless of how we understand little ones, um, you know, this is something that we've seen in Scripture. It's connected to, you know, when God judges the Canaanites and he judges man, woman and child, um, you know, God uses uh, the instrumentation of people sometimes to execute his judgment. Um, and at this particular point, you know, he was, he was going to utilize someone to execute judgment upon the Babylonians that would include man, woman, and child. Um, so it's a, it's a challenge, but, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's going to be judged by God, right? Man, woman, and child. And, and this is something that um, is something that we have to, we have to deal with. Another, you know, another question that comes into this discussion, and I, you know, I don't know if it's relevant to, to get into it now, but, you know, some people have said, well, God judges, uh, God judges nations and he destroys, you know, man, woman and child. We see that in the Old Testament. Uh, but, you know, those children, if they're of a particular age, you know, they're they're with God in heaven. Um, you know, it's the whole question of, you know, what happens to babies when they die in infancy? Um, so again, all of those questions are involved in this. Um, it's, it's a challenge to, to sift through all of it and really, um, uh, really come to a, a, a full conclusion on the matter. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, if people have a problem with this, they ultimately have a problem with God, right? Because yeah. God judges like this. Um, he, he judges nations, which include uh, the children of, uh, of those nations, too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a sting. It's hard to, to, to fully wrap our minds around, but we have to remember that at the end of the day, God is judge and the judge of all the earth will do right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the comfort that we, that we take. So, you know, atheists who raise this objection will try to make God out to be this moral monster. And I, I think the, the thing for me that, kind of, if you enter the Christian understanding of reality, then God knows all. He knows what these children would have grown up to be. He knows what they've done, uh, depending on the age that the psalmist is talking about already. And um, God has creation, creation, or creator, I guess I should say, creator rights over his creation. He can do what he wants. That doesn't mean we can do 
anything we want with God's creation. We have limitations that he's given us in his law, but uh, God himself uh, can take someone's life. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I, I never had the problem that some people have with this. I, I understand why they have it. I get it. I mean, it's a little shocking and jarring when you see this, but uh, ultimately, if you believe that he's the creator, that he made everything, then um, he he gives life, he takes life. And we also know that this isn't it. The physical world, the temporal world, that's not that's not the fullness of existence, that life goes on after this. And there's another side to it. And I think for atheists who don't have that, they, they just conceive of the here and now, and there's no afterlife, uh, that, that makes it even harder for them. Um, but the, the horror that I would um, encourage people to think about is, you know, consider atheism for a moment and whether there's any moral boundaries at all for humans. At least with Christianity, you have a creator who's laid down guidelines, laws, even in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel go into a region and kill everything, including the livestock. Uh, that's something that is a temporary command that God's given, and they are the arm of his judgment. They're um, being used by him for a specific purpose uh, in, in a very specific time. It's not something that we are to uh, do today. Um uh, he's given us other commands that restrict what we do today and govern it. So that that's helped me with it. I think I think what you just said is right. If you just believe, uh, if, if it is a problem with God, if you if you um, give God His creation rights in your mind and you believe that He He actually owns the place, then you don't have as much of a problem with this. I think. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. No, I, I think you're I think you're right on there. Um, you know, it's a fundamental worldview problem. Right. The atheist wants to, you know, if you imagine a, a, a line, right, the atheist wants to put one foot into our world and condemn us, but keep the other foot in their world when, you know, the reality is that they don't have any basis to answer the question either. Right. I mean, you know, in, a, in an atheistic world, wh why is killing babies wrong? It clearly isn't. Right. When we talk about abortion and, and all of those things in their mind. Right. Um, so, you know, they have no, they have no basis uh, to give a, to give a response, right? I mean, they, they don't have any alternative to offer. Um, now that doesn't, ex that doesn't excuse the Christian, right? From answering the objection um, in their own worldview, but, but for the atheist to actually understand it, they need to fully embrace our worldview, understand like just what you said, there's a creator. He has given us life, right? He can take away life. Uh, he has given us a law, right? On, on the basis of the, the, the fall of Adam, we all deserve death. So, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's, right. there's no, you know, it's not as if there's innocent people out here somewhere that, you know, God is, God is bringing judgment upon and they don't deserve it. We all do, right? Even, right. even infants have the, the sin of Adam. So, you know, when you fully embrace that world and you understand that, um, that makes more sense than, you know, the atheist moral monster idea where they're just kind of throwing objections out there, but they're not taking into consideration the Christian response from the, from the, the worldview of the Christian, whether or not they accept it. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is that once you fully understand the world we live in with God as creator, um, there are answers to these questions. Um, but but again, you know, to throw it back, an atheist has no basis to condemn anything, <laughs> right? right? I mean, they, 
they don't. So, um, you know, does a Christian have to give an answer for this? I think so. And I think there's good answers. Um, but again, I'd still love to hear the atheists explanation, um, on why they think, you know, why they think dashing babies is, is wrong to begin with. Well, you know, ultimately the worst thing to ever have happened, according to the Christian understanding is the most innocent person ever to be killed. The arch crime of human history is Jesus dying on a cross and sinful people killing the sinless son of God. And yet this is something prophesied and anticipated. And so there, there's examples in scripture. I mean, even when Jesus was on this or talking about the destruction in 70 AD and you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's going to happen. There's, there's just, um, and I'm sure children died in this, you know, this isn't something that just adults died in. Uh, so th- this is, this is just the reality of existence. God, I mean, man is sinful. God is, as judging man. And, um, and, and, and we live in a world that we have to make sense of both the goodness uh, that we see around us and the, the evil, uh, the, what's left of creation and its beauty, and then also the, the judgment and the condemnation because of sin. And that's one thing I don't think atheists can do. Christians seem to have that. Um, and, and yeah, there's a tension there sometimes uh, in our emotions. Um, let's switch right. gears, if that's all right. Let's talk about today. Uh, I remember, to set the stage for this, when Obama was first elected, it seems like yesterday to me, um, in a way, it's a long time ago now, though. But I remember uh, on the radio, Rush Limbaugh, uh, who had said something like, I hope he fails. And this created just a firestorm of condemnation against Rush Limbaugh. How can you say, I hope he fails? Even Republicans are going out and condemning Rush Limbaugh uh, just for saying that. And, and you know, he had to clarify what, you know, what I mean is, I, given the policies that he wants to uh, to, to, um, to, to bring in, I hope those policies fail. I hope he fails in that sense. Not, I hope he as a person fails, you know, if he does a 180, that's fine. But, uh, but this was controversial and that wasn't really that long ago. I remember it, uh, today, uh, there's to, to, by way of contrast, uh, Biden is in office, uh, and, uh, there's now this whole let's go Brandon, um, I don't know if you want to call it a movement. There's a popular song. There's T-shirts. There's uh, Republican senators wearing these T-shirts and and saying things like "Let's go, Brandon." I mean, it's become a big thing. I'm a people, uh, congressmen on the floor of Congress saying "Let's go, Brandon," and um, I can't help but think how different that is from just uh, a few years ago when it was controversial for Rush Limbaugh just to say "I hope he fails." And that was much more intelligent. That made sense. Uh, let's go, Brandon, of course, for those who don't know, is, is um, basically F. Joe Biden. It's, it's a, a cursing him. And, it, you know, it, it's hard for me even to wrap my head around how this is a popular or, a you know, I, I, I mean, I get it. You know, at first you have NASCAR fans shouting something derogatory against the president and the reporter doesn't understand it. That's a little funny that she tried to kind of smooth over what they were saying and reinterpret it as something positive. But, but making this a battle cry, uh, like remember the Alamo, I mean, that's one person online told me, you know, it's like, remember the Alamo or, you know, uh, I don't know, taxation without representation or give me liberty, give me death, but don't tread on me. You know, th- this is the, this generation's version of that. And, uh, and so Christians have been defending this um, some Christians uh, by saying, you know, the Bible says harsh things. And that's what your book is about. The harsh things uh, in the Psalms specifically that are uh, condemning people in, in judgment. And isn't this the same thing? So I'm going to just give you however time you want to respond to that. But 
What do you think? Is that appropriate? Is that an imprecatory psalm? Is that what you're saying Christians should be involved in or not? Yeah, let me um, let me let me talk about some of the suggested principles first, and then I'll and then I'll get specifically to that uh, example. Um, you know, some of the some of the at the end of the book, I give some suggested guidelines how we are to navigate these because you know at the end of the day, I do think you know here's a spoiler alert. I do think we can pray them still today, um, based on you know the conclusion that I come to in the book. So. Uh, you know, some of the some of the suggested principles I, I give are things like, you know, what is the motivation of the prayer, right? Is the is the prayer being offered up genuinely because you want to see God's justice established, uh, or is it a is there personal vengeance, right, that's lurking in your heart? Right? I mean, is this something that you just have a vendetta against this person or these group this group of people? Um, even if it's mixed motivation, I, I personally would encourage not to pray the prayer because the last thing you want to do is pray something where there's to God, where there's actual sin in the prayer that you're praying in your heart. So, you know, that's, that's a question you have to ask is the motivation pure. Uh, I want to see God's justice established here, or is it a, you know, in your own conscience, is it a mix of, of the two or just purely revengeful? Um, second one is I, I say, you know, on a uh, generally, there is a qualification, but generally, I would encourage making these prayers more general as opposed to, you know, towards specific people. Um, you know, I think if you look at the Psalms, you know, most of the time they're, they're general, like even this one, right? It's, it's Psalm 137 is, is, is directed at the Babylonians as a nation. Um, there's not a particular, you know, Babylonian he has in mind. Um, now, again, I do think, you know, I do think that can be qualified um, at times, but but I, I do think a good rule of thumb would be keeping these um, more general. But and finally, you know, is it is is it rooted in um, God's judgment? I mean, is there a basis in God's uh, uh, in the Word of God for this particular um, imprecatory psalm? You know, Psalm one thirty seven. There is a basis, right? God is going to judge the, uh, you know, the Babylonians, and this is how He said He's going to do it. Um, do we have a basis for that in the prayers we're praying? So, for example, I think of, I use it in the book. You know, the modern day sex trafficking industry. I mean, you know, that's a that's a, a an evil on a massive scale, and we have a basis in the Word of God to say. God, bring down judgment on this particular industry, right? Destroy them. Um, because one, we know what God says about marriage. We know what God says about adulterers. They have their place in the lake of fire. Um, and people that, that commit this kind of evil are ripe for God's judgment. So, so we have a basis to pray that, right? We know what God has said about um, these kinds of activities. And, uh, and we want to see God destroy these kinds of industries that are capitalizing on uh, this evil. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the principles that I, I try to, some of them that I try to pull out um, in this, in this particular, um, um, in this book. So, so to answer your question though, um, I don't think that let's go Brandon is, is, can be justified by the imprecatory Psalms. Um, you know, for one, it isn't, it isn't calling down God's judgment upon someone, uh, you know, 
based upon a desire to see God's justice established. I don't think um, it's using a phrase you and I know that insinuates given the, the, the middle finger right at somebody um, you know, it was started by the world and, and, and Christians engaging in this are simply following the culture uh, in this particular area. Um, but it also neglects the, I think the biblical exhortation to pray for our leaders uh, Paul calls us to pray for our leaders, to pray for their salvation, um, and, uh, and we're called to do that. Now, one of the ways I've done it, and, I, and I've actually done it with this president and um, uh, from the pulpit, I've prayed, you know, I've prayed for his, his salvation. I've prayed that he would come to know the Lord. I've prayed uh, that he would honor God and his administration. Um, but I also go on to, I, I've also went on to say, and if he doesn't, I've prayed, Lord, tear down everything he attempts to do, right? Destroy his plans, uh, bring to ruin everything that he puts his hands on, bring to ruin any direction that he tries to bring this country, ruin him, ruin this administration in doing that. Um, so I, in that way, I try, to, I try to balance both, right? We want to pray for their salvation and, and pray that they would honor God in the administration, but if they don't, ruin them. Lord, bring judgment upon this administration. Um, to me, that's a better approach than, than, you know, jumping on the cultural train by using a phrase that, quite honestly, you know, lacks any kind of substance. I think it's silly for, for Christians to jump on that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's my thoughts on that. I, I, don't think, I don't think you can connect it to uh, the imprecatory Psalms in second. I just think I think there's better, more intelligent ways for Christians to, to engage in this, right? We have the same, we have the same goal is, is to say, you know what, this, you know, this administration is, is, is in rebellion against God, clearly. Um, how do Christians respond to that? I think by saying, let's go, Brandon, just, uh, you know, is not, a, is not a helpful way for Christians to engage in it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That's kind of how I've come down on it. And uh, so I appreciate you lending your perspective there, which is uh, you, you in in articulate it very intelligently. Uh, we have maybe five minutes, uh, if that. I just want to get your take real quick, uh, switching gears to the PCA, because I know you've, um, you're in the PCA and you're looking at what's happening. So what, tell me this, are you, give me like the pulse. Are you encouraged that right direction, wrong direction could go either way? You know, what are you thinking about the, the uh, trajectory of the PCA these days? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, some days I wake up and I think, Hey, we're, we're making some, we're making some strides here. And then other days I wake up and say, ah, man, we're, we're really going down the wrong, wrong path. And I think, you know, I think the reason for that is, is yeah, there's, there's issues in the PCA. Uh, there's, there's issues from the whole revoice thing to the, to the social justice issue. Um, yeah. I mean, we're right there, but you know, the reason I say, you know, sometimes I think we're making strides is that, you know, there's, there is a strong resistance uh, to those things in, in the PCA. Um, it's just a matter of, who, who's, who pushes back the loudest maybe, and who actually is able to, to, um, to, I hate to say take control, but really to, uh, to, to get their, uh, their, their voice 
heard and their positions established, I think, because, you know, we have two things going on. We have, um, you know, this SJC decision that, that came down that basically, um, you know, exonerated um, or it, he didn't exonerate Greg Johnson. What it actually did was just basically say that procedurally Missouri Presbytery, which Greg Johnson is a part of, um, did not err in their investigation of him. Um, you know, again, that, you know, there's disagreement there, but, you know, this, this isn't an exoneration of Johnson and what he believes. In fact, if you actually read the case, they specifically say, um, you know, if, if these things can be proven that he believes these things, that's wrong. And he should be out, you know, he should be out of ministry. Um, the, the debate is, well, we do think he said these things, <laughs> you know, it's not, it, it's, it's clear in certain venues and certain places that he has expressed uh, these particular things. So, um, you know, there's, there's debate on that, the, the big thing going on right now, and there's a spreadsheet out there that you can kind of follow along, um, is these, these two overtures that I've been on your show before. We talked about this in the summer, uh, these two overtures that were passed by the General Assembly, which is the national meeting of the PCA, um, are now being debated and voted upon in the presbyteries, which are the regional bodies, the regional courts of the, of the PCA. Um, and right now, I think it stands uh, 34 to 11 in favor of Overture 37, 23 and um, 31 to 13, I think. In, in favor of Overture 37. My, my numbers, this is going off the top. I'm, I'm probably wrong, but um, I know, I think you have a copy of the, of the yeah, spreadsheet. Sent, I think you sent it to yeah. me. I, yeah, and I don't have it in front of me though. <laughs> okay, um, but, uh, but anyway, so you need two thirds to, to pass these in the presbyteries. Um, it's kind of up in the air right now because there's a lot of presbyteries that probably will vote against them that haven't voted yet. Um, but there's some that, you know, me personally, I have, I have no idea the personality of that presbytery and, and, and how they'll vote. So it's really just kind of up in the air, but if those pass, it goes before the GA next year and a simple majority, if, if we have that, um, that will then be put into our constitution, into our book of church order, um, those two overtures. So, you know, it, it really, it really depends on that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are saying we need to stay and we need to fight. There's still an opportunity here. Um, it's not all, all is lost yet. We need to fight. Um, so, and then there's some that are just weary and ready to, ready to leave. I think right now, you know, we, we want to stay, we want to fight um, until there's, there's absolutely no clear paths anymore. Um, and then at that point we would reassess where we are, but, you know, there's, there's a desire to fight. And if, and if, if nothing can be done, I think ultimately, uh, there will be a mass exodus and hopefully a mass exodus that will stay together, uh, and form something new like the PCA did back in the seventies. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. I mean, you know, we're dealing with stuff that every denomination is dealing with and trying to navigate how how to best be faithful to God and, and, and to his word. So, well, don't be the SBC. Don't, don't do a, uh, you know, a, a, an abuse scandal and then waive attorney client privilege. That'll get you downhill real fast. Yeah. Yeah. As we're yeah, seeing right true. now, 
but uh, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen uh, in the PCA. Well, I appreciate your time, uh, Pastor Sean McGowan. You can uh, go to Amazon and you can find the book. I have it right here. Uh, it's called Psalms That Curse, a brief primer by Sean McGowan, and uh, it's on Kindle as well. And uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. Always appreciate it. Good to be with you. All right. God bless. God bless. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.